now more than ever, people kind of really understand when the brand is trying to kind of manipulate you in a way and kind of try and just insert themselves into a conversation to kind of show they care instead of actually going out and demonstrating their care. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. It is my pleasure to bring an incredible guest, which if you've been on social media or any of the online media channels, or if you're just walking around and seeing that there's advertising everywhere, messages everywhere, dings, beeps, things that are distracting us. And if we're out there building a business, trying to gain attention and trying to stand out in a wave of busier and busier sensory overload that seems to be happening everywhere, we're going to need to try something different than just doing more of the same. I'm so excited to have Brendan Kane join me, who just recently launched the book Hook Point, which is really about taking a lens at what's going on. How do we navigate a world where our attention span is like three seconds? We want to stand out. We want to make sure we get that attention, build viral campaigns, be able to do the kind of marketing that can bring the results that we need in our businesses to make more sales, make more impact. And we are going to need a few tricks along the way. And this man is the expert who has worked with large organizations, companies like MTV, has worked on campaigns with influencers you might have heard of, such as Taylor Swift. And if you're a fan of Mind Valley, he's been a major influence in growing their social reach, making sure their campaigns are making sure that they're reaching so many more people in the process. He's a bit of a secret weapon that happens behind closed doors, but he's here to share those secrets with us. And his previous book, One Million Followers, showed how he could actually build in 30 days an incredible social following of 1 million plus. We might get into a little bit of that as well. Brendan, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to see you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. You know, it's been a while since we had that last conversation. We spoke about your first book, the one about getting a million followers in such a rapid time. But when I introduce you and this episode, I spoke about how things are getting noisy. More messages are going out. It seems harder to get reach than ever. Am I painting an accurate picture of what's happening in this world of marketing? Yeah, it's definitely gotten a lot noisier and continues to do that because more and more people are getting on social media. You know, say there's about 5 billion people on these platforms and it continues to grow with more parts of the world. And the reason it's getting more noisy is we're at a stage with all of those 5 billion people that any single one of them can just pull out a phone, click a button and post something to social media. And if you think about pre-social media, the world didn't operate that way. You know, in order to reach the masses, you had to have access to a television station, a radio station, print newspapers, things of that nature. So the ability to reach the masses was kind of regulated in a way that you had to either have the money to do so or the contacts to do so. And social media has really democratized that level of communication to the masses. Now, that doesn't mean that every person that can post will reach the masses, but it gives that power to people. So that's where it becomes difficult to really stand out in this world because so many people have this kind of tool at their fingertips to create and distribute content and messages. You know, I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but it seems to be the reality of the situation 
there was kind of this hope that was happening around, oh my God, now that this democratization of media and being able to use these social platforms have come about, that means that a person with talent could actually be discovered in ways that you could never dream of and get really popular without having to have those connections or that money initially. And it seems like this was a golden opportunity for a lot of people to be able to use these channels, stand out, make something for themselves, and finally see we are all starting on the same kind of footing. But the reality of things is that we kind of went too far in that direction. Now there's a lot of noisiness and it seems like, you know, if I'm going to be a person with a message that's trying to bring value, I kind of have, is it a feeling of jadedness that it's going to be, again, the marketing people that are focused on marketing that are going to win this game? Is that the same kind of cycle happening at a different level now? I think it's a bit different in that it's not really, to be honest, the marketing people are the ones that actually struggle with social media. Now, there's a delineation between organic and paid, and some of the traditional marketing people have mastered paid. But in my experience, especially when it comes to organic, is the marketing people actually struggle with this new medium because it's completely different. What I kind of see is the people that succeed in this platform understand that it's a new form of communication, and they master kind of the art of communicating on these platforms. So if you take like Mr. Beast, for example, who at this point across all his channels has 400 million subscribers, like, and if you look at his origin story, you know, he was starting in his bedroom by himself at 13 years old. And all he's done over the course of his entire career and continues to do so is mastering the art of making the best video possible. Now, that's kind of a very generic kind of, explanation. But, you know, when he first started out, he explained that, you know, he and four other high school dropouts that were all YouTubers spent a thousand days straight, 10 hours a day, understanding every aspect of what it means to create a viral video. So looking at a thousand thumbnails, looking at the coloring, the shading, looking at the headlines, looking at the pacing, the number of edits, tonality, all these elements. And if you really look at the most successful people on social media, it's rarely that they're lucky. It's more that they're understanding how to communicate on these platforms, contextualize their message in a way that works for the platform that we're speaking on. Yeah, actually, he's a fantastic example. And yeah, again, it's like, it's not a focus on marketing now. There was a focus on the creation and kind of a focus on the appreciation of the platform where it's going. You know, I have to bring up the biggest faux pas maybe of the first quarter this year. There was that big Bud Light fumble where Bud Light decided to go into some new medias and go on TikTok. And it seems like those with the traditional marketing hat still have that viewpoint that if you're going on one channel and as you said, like the paid channel, it goes to the right target market and doesn't spread out of there. But with the controversial ad that was a partnership with a member of the LGBTQ community, went into a social demographic that wasn't the ones that were aligning with that message, it cost them a lot of money in sales. So are we seeing companies are still making these kinds of mistakes by treating the new media as old media? Yeah, I do. I think it comes down to the intent of what you're trying to do. Like, you know, as we were talking before the podcast, talking about the philosophy of sales. And I feel like now more than ever, people kind of really understand when the brand is trying to kind of manipulate you in a way and kind of try and just insert themselves into a conversation to kind of show they care. 
instead of actually going out and demonstrating their care. And to kind of give you an example, our company does a lot of research on what causes content to go viral. And we did a project for a brand where we studied altruism because it's a very popular kind of format on social media. And we were studying content around people going out and doing good for others in the world and really the format of giving money to those in need. And it was really interesting, and this is kind of like the core ethos of the work that we do, is when we study a particular storytelling format on social media, we really look not just at the high performers using that format, but also the low performers. Because you can't really understand why something works if you just look at the most successful applications of it. You have to cross-analyze the success versus the unsuccessful. And in terms of altruism and this format of people giving away money, there was a very clear nuance. And it makes sense when you kind of see it and we point it out, but when you're kind of just analyzing, you may not. But there was a very clear nuance of the people that were being successful versus unsuccessful. And that was the unsuccessful people were making it about themselves, basically saying, hey, look at me, I'm giving away this money. And very subtly, they may just show their face on the screen in the first few seconds and explain what's happening versus the most successful applications. You never really saw the person giving away the money. And it was about the emotional connection between this person and the money they need and the emotional story of this person and what that money meant to them and what they were going through versus, again, the unsuccessful was like, look at me, I'm giving away this money and just the pure act of giving away the money. So that's kind of a strong correlation to kind of where brands are trying to insert themselves into cultural conversations to say more, look at me, look at what we're doing that we care versus just demonstrating the story and the underlying subtextual nature of that they care. That's very interesting. And I'd love to know if I'm out there and obviously I do have my own interests. I do have maybe the growth metrics and sales metrics that I want to hit. And I'm looking to create some new campaigns to be able to drive those traffic and get that attention in the busy world. How do you balance the formula for this content versus the actual needs that you have? Because I would assume that you always want to have some sort of injection of yourself in the material, or does this only apply to an altruistic type of formula? It's a great question. And basically what we look at is how do you make people care at scale about the stories you're telling? How do you get people to know, like, and trust you? And if you are able to get people to know, like, and trust you, get them to buy into you, get people to buy into your stories, they will follow you wherever you go. To give you an example, we were working with a leather craftsman, like as about as niche as you can get, you know, a young individual out of Europe, multi-generational family in leather craftsmanship, had a leather craftsman business where they create like iPhone cases and wallets and things of that nature. Now, he had no experience in social media, like 2000 followers on TikTok. And through our process, we helped him develop a storytelling format called Is It Worth It? And in this format, what he would do is he'd buy like a $500 Chanel handbag, deconstruct it on screen, and tell you whether it was worth the money you were paying for it. Now, in this format, he's not talking about himself. He's not talking about his own products. He's not saying, go buy this, go check out my website, any of these things. He was just connecting with the audience 
through this interesting concept called, is it worth it telling the story and providing value to these people of whether this handbag was worth the price that you were paying for it? So through this, you know, he's at 850,000 followers at this point. He's gotten like 60, 70 million video views. And again, there's no call to action in these videos. There's no selling just in his, in the bio on his website, his website URL. And at one point he sold out of all this inventory. Previously, he was using Google ads to generate traffic to his website. He was generating 10,000 visitors. Just through the organic traffic, it jumped to 100,000 visitors. And again, there's no call to action. There's no selling. He's just personally connecting with the audience, providing value, telling a great story. And then through that, people are knowing who he is. They're trusting him. They're liking him. And then they're willing to take that next step further on their own. And I think people as marketers or brand owners kind of feel like they almost need to knock people over the head with the fact that they sell something or to go check out things. And it's just like people are smarter than that. You know, it's like that's the big thing is just engage them, develop that trust, allow them to kind of like you and what you stand for. And then they'll go wherever you want them to go after that. Can you tell that I've been trained in the online marketing space where all I'm thinking about, like, well, oh my God, there needs to be a call to action. There needs to be an opt-in form or something. But what you're saying is that's the kind of old school. And now we need to really start thinking about how do you actually make this standalone and have the trust that it pays dividends. When you speak about your book, Hook Point, and that we're in a three-second economy, are you saying that all the things that we kind of put in place in the building of a funnel and all that are actually standing in the way of potential goals you could hit if you were just focused on the trust? No, I think that they all come into play. For example, you know, we see organic, again, is is earning the right to make the sale. And then once you build that organic audience, then that's where kind of retargeting, direct response, funnels, all of those elements can play in. So they definitely still play a role in today's world. And I know companies that don't really do organic that are still ultra successful in the direct response world. Now, those direct response principles, even today's world, have shifted and changed in order to kind of stand out within social media, because even when you're serving an ad in social media, it still has to compete and stack up against the organic posts. So I think that there's, and we've seen a lot of success in marrying, you know, the organic science with the paid science to kind of really amplify those results. So it definitely still has a play in it, but you have to adapt those principles of direct response and ads and funnels and landing pages to kind of the social media world that we live in today. Just as we're kind of building our own business and trying to get ourselves in the right audience's, you know, awareness, there's a lot of different things that are kind of pulling our attention. And, you know, you're being marketed to as well for a lot of different solutions that could maybe help you gain that trust, earn that attention. And obviously going organic or getting a viral campaign would be one of those like, oh, that would be really nice if it could happen. I'd be curious to know when people approach you and they're like, I just want to have a viral campaign. I just want to get like a ton of traffic through this this like magic formula. Do you have a, a few like faux pas or things that you should not go towards if you're going in with that mindset that that's what you want to do? When we approach that with a client, I mean, the first thing is, is, is we have to set a foundation for the kind of what you mentioned as the magic formula. You know, there is a science to virality. And the biggest thing is 
really having the right mindset that it's like it's not like a magic pill it's like anything in life like if you're going to learn how to make a movie and you want to be good at making a movie you have to actually understand all the principles of what it takes to make a good movie so i think the first thing is understanding that yes there is a science to virality yes you can master it for a single campaign but we don't really ever want to work with a client if it's just like i just want to make one video go viral because it's kind of the wrong mindset versus hey, we can help you do that, but the way to do that is really understanding all of these core principles about how to effectively communicate on these platforms and what are the nuances that make things work versus don't work on that. So I think that the issue and kind of somebody coming to us with that kind of goal in mind, it's typically very short-sighted and they're not really kind of willing to put the the time, energy, and effort in to really understand the medium that we're communicating on and the tools that are required to kind of successfully achieve that. I'm sure you experience that with sales too, is like people come in and think sales is a lot easier than it is. And they just want to use, learn a few kind of tips or tricks or even just hire somebody to do it for them. But there's a lot of underlying psychology and in understanding that goes into to really succeeding at it. Brendan, I was so surprised because, I mean, we met while I was working at Mind Valley, and I went on my own and I've been doing a lot of sales training. I was shocked on how much the psychology component was huge for people that are looking to be successful in the way that they're marketing themselves, selling their services, building a business. And what you're telling me is it's almost that same psychology that is also happening in the marketing space where people might not be going in with the right intention. So then I'd be curious to know, like when you have a client, maybe at the early stages, because I do have a lot of listeners that might be at the beginning stages, do you have a lot of advice on what are the steps to take to, I don't know, is it to gain clarity on your purpose? Is it to refine a product to a certain point? Before you even start thinking that I'm going to put myself in front of millions of people, are there certain things that you recommend that we do on ourselves before we go down that path? Yeah, the first step is really studying what it means to be a good communicator on these platforms. And that's really the first step that we take internally in our process with clients is really research. And what research means is, and I briefly mentioned it before, is going out and looking at the larger ecosystem of social media. What storytelling formats are working. And let me kind of define that. There's, you know, most people talk about trends. Let's talk about trends versus format. A trend is something fleeting. It's an idea, a post, a subject matter that's kind of fleeting in its, you know, ability to kind of work. It may work for a month or a few months. A storytelling format is kind of a storytelling pattern, a storytelling structure that can work for years or decades because it's a structure to insert your information. Like, The perfect analogy of a format is the three-act structure that's used in movies. Every movie uses the same three-act structure no matter the genre, whether it's horror, action, comedy. That structure has been around for 100 years, and it keeps working. What we recommend is really start identifying what are the storytelling structures, what are the storytelling formats specific to the platform that you're working on. And one of the big things is, Don't pay attention to the content. Look at the context. Because most people will kind of look for their people trying to share the exact same message. 
But that becomes difficult because most people in your niche are not successful with social media. And we really want to look at people that are excelling at the highest levels to then cross-analyze it against people underperforming. And I would say another big mistake people make is they get so focused on their own content, their own data, and it's just like, let's just say that you're starting out and you can only get a thousand views a video, if that. Well, how is kind of just constantly analyzing your own video is going to tell you how do I take it from a thousand views a video to a million views a video? It's not. So it's really going out and becoming a student of social media in the same way like I went to film school. And what do you do when you go to film school? Well, they sit you down and you watch classic movies, you read classic scripts, and you sit down and you dissect it, you discuss it, you learn through that. The same principles apply with social media is through that process of really learning and understanding of what it what what's the difference between a video that got 10 million views versus 10,000 views using the same storytelling format that's where you're going to learn a tremendous amount about what it takes and that's the best place to start before you put yourself in front of a camera because if you just put yourself in front of the camera you're kind of lost of like well I don't understand why this didn't work and then you start thinking that virality and social media success is really luck there's no science you get frustrated you get burned out all of those different elements and again it's the same thing as like if you never studied script writing or filmmaking if i just handed you a camera and said go make me a feature film you're gonna have no idea of where to start even though you probably watched hundreds of films it doesn't mean that you understand how to actually go out there and make one the same thing with making viral content or breakthrough content in social media. We all consume so much of it. It doesn't mean you understand the science behind what causes and detracts from success. I'm going to have two, two questions on this. Um, the first one is going to be around if I'm doing research, given that it seems like things are changing so fast in the pace of social media, how far back can you go and review the content of what went viral or not to still see that what happened there is still applicable to today. And I'd also love for you to address maybe the excuse that we would give ourselves saying like, oh my God, yeah, sounds like if I want to go viral, I'll need a huge budget and everything done professionally. And I'm just not there yet. Yeah. I'll start with the latter question first, because it's a great thing is some of our most successful case studies are solopreneurs creating content on their iPhone with no social media experience. So like that leather expert I mentioned, no social media experience was really struggling creates content as iPhone by himself. We are just working with a hand doctor, no social media experience, garnered like 200,000 followers on TikTok, just using your iPhone in a month. You know, sometimes I would say the more experience you have, the larger the team can work against you from a mindset perspective. That's the biggest contributing factor that we see of people being successful versus unsuccessful is purely a mindset aspect. So it's not about how big your team size is, how fancy your camera is, or any of those elements. It doesn't contribute. In terms of your first question, so what we typically do is when we're doing research, we'll look at it from two perspectives. We'll look at it from a single channel or single creator and look at kind of performance, you know, that happened recently versus maybe a longer period of time ago. But yes, you want to kind of look at more recent content, 
But what I can tell you is, you know, a simple truth about really mastering social media and going viral is mastery of a single format. So I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, Alex Stemp, that I've worked with a little bit, he's at about 22 million followers on TikTok. And his format is he's he does the man on the street format where he approaches random strangers on the street and offers them professional photo shoots. Now, he's been using that format for three years, and it still works today. And that's allowed him to get 22 million followers on TikTok. Again, with the Leather Craftsman, he's been using that format for about six or seven months, and it's still working. So typically with these storytelling structures or formats, they will last for a long period of time. They're designed for that. As long as you're executing them properly, it's not like a trend where it's going to last a few months and then you're going to have to jump to the next one, jump to the next one. That's why we kind of advise people to avoid going off of trends because you never truly master the art of storytelling. It's like if you look at Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg, when they're making movies, they're not reinventing the three-act structure every time they make a movie because that would hinder their ability to become a master storyteller. Or it's like writing a book, like the best authors in the world, like a Stephen King. Like They're not reinventing the way that they tell their stories every time they write a book. They're using that format and expressing the story through that format in different ways, introducing different characters, different dialogue, things of that nature. I like that. Brendan, when I'm looking at the social media landscape. And I guess this one would be a little more of a timely type of advice, but I've noticed two of the examples you've given have been TikTok examples. And there seems to be different platforms that might be better to invest our time, maybe at the early stages or later stages. Do you often give recommendations for or against certain platforms based on the type of business? Or is there one that seems to be taking all the potential and is where you should recommend people to focus on? Yeah, it really depends on the business, what they're trying to achieve. And I would say it depends more on kind of the mindset, the type of stories they want to tell, the time that they have to put into it. So, you know, TikTok's probably one of the fastest growing ones out there. Instagram Reels is really successful as well. Now, there's a clear delineation between when you look at like a TikTok, Instagram Reels and like a YouTube So YouTube is longer form content. So it's the average video is 10 to 15 minutes versus TikTok, Instagram Reels is, you know, 60 to 90 seconds. So obviously the time commitment to create a single piece of content, the bar is lower. When you hit it, the numbers are bigger. However, the the delineating factor between that and YouTube is, you know, it's harder to produce that content because it's longer form typically lower view count, but there's a trade-off in that on YouTube, people are spending more time and energy with your brand, with your content, because they're spending 5, 10, 15 minutes with your brand versus, you know, 30 to 60 seconds. So kind of a view and a subscriber on YouTube is probably 10x more valuable than on a TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. But again, it doesn't mean that mastering you know, short form content platform isn't valuable. So I just say that if you master any one of these platforms and you really scale it, you're going to be in a really good position. You don't need to master every platform. It's just, I kind of look at it from more of a mindset perspective of like, 
how much content do they want to produce? Are they really interested in spending a few weeks on a single piece of content or do they want to, to have more frequency with it? You know, what really excites them? What platforms do they use? What platforms do they love? Because that's a contributing factor as well. So those are just some of the kind of the considerations in terms of helping a client make that decision. But I'll never say, oh, it has to be TikTok because TikTok is the hottest thing. I just don't, you know, all these platforms are so big that if you master one of them, you will ultimately find, you know, the success and growth that you're looking for. I love that. I have an interesting question for me, and it's almost like a moral dilemma that I I think I know where I stand, but I could see where I could be justified as well. So I'd be curious for you, since the, your business is helping people get, you know, big followings and getting a lot of reach. But, you know, if I have an important message to send out there and I want to be able to get some big brand deals, I want to be able to do some partnerships with big people. And I know one of the biggest things to help me get my message out is the concept of social proof. So like if I'm somebody with a hundred followers on Instagram, doesn't look too good. But if I have a couple million, people will look more than the three seconds they, they might've allowed me. I'd be curious to know what is your thoughts on the fact that there's so many ways people go out there and they just go and buy so many followers. They go buy fake views, fake comments, fake watches, like, so they can engineer a social media profile that looks huge. And once they've done that, it's actually opened some doors for them. And then for me, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, no, that's definitely wrong. But then I'm like, oh my God, but if your purpose is so clearly defined and this is the way to get you to reach more people as fast as possible, maybe I'm being over judgmental. I don't know. I'd be curious to know your opinion on that. I want to make a delineation because there's a big difference between buying fake followers, views, and comments versus using campaigns to grow an audience. I'm not well versed in terms of where the world is in terms of buying fake followers, views, and comments. I would assume that at this point, the platforms have become really wise to that and have caught on to a majority of it. And if they haven't, I would assume that they will catch on. So I don't advise doing anything as it pertains to fake followers, fake views, fake comments. As it pertains to doing strategic advertising campaigns or campaigns to put your content in front of people to grow an audience, I would say that the success or failure of that is heavily predicated on your ability to maximize producing content that gets reach and distribution in the algorithms. Because let's just say tomorrow you were given a million followers and those million followers were real people they may or may not know why they've opted into you. The only value of that audience is your ability to produce content that can reach that audience and beyond. So if you are an effective content creator and talking about kind of all the things that we talked about in the conversation previously, then you will maximize the value and potential of that audience. If you haven't mastered those principles, then you're not necessarily going to reach that audience. So that's kind of the way that I see it. And it's also kind of, you mentioned in a different way is like, let's say that you were again, given that million followers tomorrow and those people were real and they may or may not know why they've opted into you. And because of that, you get on a big podcast or you get on a big stage. 
Now, are you an effective communicator when you get on that stage or on that podcast? Because again, that comes down to, are you maximizing the opportunity that that presents? Some people will absolutely kill it and they blow up because they get on a big podcast and their information is so valuable. They're such an effective communicator or they get on stage. That opportunity leads to 20 opportunities and their brand keeps growing and growing and growing versus the person that isn't prepared for that, doesn't have that value kind of they blow it and it doesn't support them. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. I don't believe or recommend doing anything fake in terms of followers, views, or comments. I'm obviously a huge believer in advertising and creating, you know, advertising campaigns that can fuel growth if you can maximize the results of that. You know, I have a background in film and in advertising and we still explore how you use paid advertising opportunities to fuel organic growth and and vice versa. So it's really kind of from a long-term perspective of how and why are you doing it? And are you actually ready to maximize the value of kind of pursuing that path, if that makes sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I couldn't agree more. I think that's one thing that I've really appreciated from your first book about 1 million followers is this understanding that you should be using the advertising tools. I guess the best expression here would be to kind of throw gasoline on a good fire, but you know, gasoline on a bad fire burns down a house. And so we have to understand that there is some strategic advantages to using it as long as we know that what we're doing makes sense. And we've grown to the space to be able to deliver and receive what opportunities are going to come on the other end. There's one direction I'd love for us to cover real quickly, which is, you know, with the birth and the hot buzz around AI, I'd be curious to know, how does that affect the world of viral campaigns? And do you think it's something that's going to do better or worse for content creators? It's a great question. Uh, It's a tool. And I think in some ways, it's going to make it worse for content creators because they're going to think that AI is going to fix the problem for them instead of, again, really kind of learning the tools. Like, And another analogy is, so I went to film school. And when I went to film school, you still shot on actual film and you had to actually splice the film and things of that nature. Now, when digital cameras came along, it alleviated the need to do some of those things, but it didn't automatically make you a better filmmaker. It just made certain elements easier. And it's the same thing with AI. I think AI is a very valuable tool and will continue to be more and more valuable. But if you're looking at AI to solve your kind of deficiencies and understandings of what makes content go viral, that's where I think it's going to fall short. Um, And kind of the analogy that I use is let's imagine everybody woke up tomorrow and all 5 billion people on social media used AI to create viral content. Well, there's still going to be winners and losers because all 5 billion people can't be heard. So that's where I think it's going to hurt content creators in a certain way. But there's going to be other content creators that kind of really understand communicating on these platforms and use the tool in a smart way. Now, Our team is investing a lot of time and energy in AI, so we've kind of seen where kind of the shortcomings and also the value is in it, 
But it's like anything else, it's a tool and your ability to use that tool effectively is going to determine the the ultimate outcome. I love it. Brendan, it's such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. I'm also going to suggest for everybody listening here, you definitely want to pick up a copy of Hook Point. It is available on Amazon or any of your major book retail spaces. I would say if you do go and pick it up on Amazon, as you should, be sure to take a moment, read it, understand what you can do to get yourself out there, earn more attention, maybe have your own viral campaign and understand the platforms more effectively, as Brendan has talked about on the show today. And of course, take a moment and leave a review. For those of you who pick up a copy and go through the material, you will see how helpful it is for you. I just picked up my copy of the book and I'm definitely going through it so that I can optimize the way that I do these interviews. And the biggest takeaway that I am excited about from my conversation with you, Brendan, is the fact that I have just started with my team to go in back to the drawing board and do what you've recommended, which was instead of being focused on the way that we do our podcast and how we do our YouTube is now I'm actually taking a time to strategically look at the ones that are doing it at the best level on YouTube. It's a platform that I use. I get excited about actually putting my stuff out there. And I feel that we've been doing this for almost two years now that we want to start saying, okay, how do we become more strategic, more research driven, and more intentional about creating for that platform? And now we're going externally to research the people that are doing it well to make sure that we can bring some of those elements and have us have more success in the process. Brendan, being on the Selling with Love podcast, there's a question I ask all my guests, which is, what does selling with love mean to you? Well, the way that I kind of look at selling is not selling is I try and sit down from the person on the other side of the table and just really understand how they perceive the world and what is the greatest challenge or obstacle that they're facing in reaching their goals and objectives and how can I help them on that journey and helping them on that journey may be something that I can offer them and maybe something that I just make an introduction to somebody else. So to me, it's really understanding the individual as a human being on the other side of the table and just seeing what is their greatest challenge and obstacle. And sometimes they may not know what it is. Sometimes you have to kind of read between the lines and how can I kind of support them in that journey? So that's kind of the way that I would answer that question. Brendan, once again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. For all of you listening, this is Brendan Kane. We're going to make sure there's links to his material. You can go through his organization. There's some free reports. There's some amazing content that you can go and get there. I even was able to pick up a copy of the book for just $5 and you get a ton of bonus material. You even get to have a strategy session if you are looking for some more guidance in your own campaign. It's a fascinating place you can go check out. Links will be in the show note. And of course, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.